Welcome to another episode of the Heartship Journey podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm your host, Andrea Mauser, and today's episode is one that had me literally taking a new perspective on life. I interviewed Melissa Vickerman, who is triumphantly battling cancer. Melissa shared with me that while she cannot imagine a life without her family, sadly, the reality is they will be living a life without her. And that while no one is guaranteed tomorrow, it's so important to make every day count and to create a bank of memories. Melissa shares about her diagnosis, her treatment, and the legacy she wishes to leave. This woman is a true warrior, and I was so honored for the chance to speak with her. I hope you enjoy this episode with Melissa Vickerman. My primary reason for, you know, doing this is to help others, kind of um, anybody else that might be in a simu- simu- similar situation um, or just broaden people's perspectives, let them see, you know, life from a different angle. Um, mm. I think that it's, I've grown so much um, since my diagnosis that it's, it would be helpful, I think, for other people too to maybe see because you never know, you know, no one's guaranteed tomorrow. And that's probably the biggest thing that I've come away with is not one of us is guaranteed tomorrow. So mm-hmm. make every day last. I'm so grateful to have an opportunity to speak with Melissa Vickerman today. Melissa was diagnosed with gastric cancer last September, September of 2020, stage three. And today we're going to just visit with Melissa and get her insight and how living a life with cancer has changed her perspective. Would you mind just sharing a little bit about who you are, Um, maybe your family, kind of a little bit of of background? Sure. So I am 39 years old. Um, I was born and raised in Dubuque, Iowa. Um, I went to Waller High School. Um, Shortly after that, I met my then now husband, then boyfriend, Nick Vickerman. Um, and we actually bought a supper club here in Wisconsin. Um, and we moved up here and ran that for oh almost 10 years. Um, and that's in currently Richland Center, Wisconsin. And that's where I live now. So we did that for many years. I'm a registered nurse manager at Pine Valley Healthcare and Rehabilitation Facility in Richland Center. Um, Nick and I have a 16-year-old son, Zach Vickerman. Um, He is the light and joy of our lives. Mm. Uh, My biggest uh, accomplishment and what I'm most proud of. Um, I I don't know. That's kind of me in a nutshell. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, What took place in your life that led you to hearing your diagnosis? Sure. So um, about a year prior to um, being diagnosed, I had had some stomach issues. Um, I, you know, heartburn, um, indigestion became more and more, you know, until I was vomiting. It just became this bigger thing. Um, and as a nurse, uh, if you know any, um, we generally will self-diagnose and don't go <laughs> to doctors which is what I did. And, um, you know, finally it got to the point where I was losing weight and I wasn't trying to, and 
I had stepped on the scale and noticed that there was a significant loss and I, it kind of shocked me into, you know, maybe I need to see my physician. So I went to my primary and, um, we discussed, you know, what could be going on and she had thought an ulcer and that's kind of where my mind was moving to. Um, I remember asking her, you know, is this, is this cancer? Should I be worried about cancer? You know, because even as a nurse, I Google things and WebMD always tells us it's cancer and very rarely is it. Um, and she said, no, I, I wouldn't be worried about that at all. Um, and I was on that mindset as well. You know, she's was wonderful. She um, progressed how I would progress. You don't just jump into um, these invasive diagnostic procedures. You start um, non-invasive and that's what we did. Um, so it, she thought that, okay, let's do the route of the ulcer and see if it takes care of it. And um, it did, it masked the symptoms for a while. Um, but unfortunately the symptoms came back and that's when we decided to do an upper endoscopy. Um, so I did go in for an upper and again, we all thought it was going to be an ulcer that it was just going to be a non-healing ulcer. Um, so I had the upper endoscopy done and that was on a Friday and the physician, um, called me on Tuesday the following week and it was six o'clock at night and I, I just knew, you know, you have that mm. feeling before you get bad news, you just have this feeling of kind of doom. You know what I mean? Um, as soon as I heard the voice on the phone and he introduced himself, I knew something wasn't good. Um, and he had just said, you know, I'm sorry, I'm, it's cancer. And he was just as baffled as I was. He thought it was going to be an ulcer, you know, that it was a H pylori and that's why it didn't heal. And, um, so yeah, it was shocking. Very, very shocking. So you were told that over the phone. I was, I was, I was alone at the time. Um, my husband had, was at work. Um, and my son was at a practice after school. So I just, you know, when you're in shock, you don't know you're in shock. Mm -hmm. Um, but I suppose looking back, I was, I was in shock. Um, I just can't even describe the feeling that happens to you when you hear something like that. It's surreal. What do you do at that point? So I actually talked to the physician for um, quite a bit on the phone. Mm. I, I would say it was a, probably a 10 minute conversation where I asked mm -hmm. a couple questions, probably not like the best questions because I wasn't shocked. You know, I just remember asking him, what does this mean? How bad is it? And he yeah. said, it's not good. And, you know, that, of course, amped up my anxiety. Um, so it, it's snapshots in time. Um, mm -hmm. When I look back um, and what I remember, and it, it's not a whole lot. I don't remember a whole lot from that conversation. Um, just that he, you know, told me and said, this is what happens. Um, he explained the process moving forward, which I was thankful for. Cause that of course is what I wanted to know. What do I do next? Um, yeah. so I was treated at the Carbone Cancer Center at UW in Wisconsin, which is a phenomenal place. And they, um, recently passed in the last couple of years that once you receive a cancer diagnosis within 72 hours, they have to have you in the books for an appointment with an oncologist. So, um, they're very good about getting a hold of me the next day, getting an appointment for an oncologist with me. It just moved at this light speed. It was happening so fast. Um, and 
you know, I think I, I met with Dr. Mulcairin maybe a week later and the surgical, um, surgical oncologist, Dr. Varley, my surgeon, I met with him the same day. Um, and then you just start this plan. Uh, so it's always like the step that you're looking for, forward to. This is what we're going to do. This is, you know, um, what I would do is, you know, mm-hmm. you have options. Um, and once I decided on the option I wanted to go with, then, you know, it's always looking to this next step. Plan of action right away. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your mindset around that? I think initially I was depressed, um, mm. really sad. And just, I think the shock was, it wasn't, you know, a day. I think I was in shock more than a day. And I think that you go through like a grieving process, even when you get, you know, a diagnosis like that, you don't necessarily have to uh, lose someone to go through a grief process. Um, so I went through the whole, I'm angry, I'm in denial, I'm sad, I, you know, and it just, it was, it was awful at first, it was really awful. But after that, um, and just seeing all of the support that I had surrounding me, my family, my friends, my son, my husband, my mother, um, it just, that's kind of what empowered me. And having that support system is so critical. And knowing that you were in the healthcare field as a registered nurse, were you, upon receiving that diagnosis, did that change your ability to work? Or were you able to continue working? So I took off the next day, just to process. I remember I called my um, DON, my director of nursing, the next um, that night and just shared with her and, you know, cried with her over the phone and um, just said, you know what, I need tomorrow. I need tomorrow to process. And she, of course, is like, tomorrow, that's it, you know? Um, yeah. But I think I wanted to get right back to work. I wanted my mind to be on something. I wanted to be productive. I needed to be productive at that time. Um, so yeah, I, I continued to work. Um, we decided the plan of action was going to be, um, chemotherapy and with gastric cancer, gastric cancer is very aggressive. Therefore the, um, chemotherapy is very aggressive. Um, being my age, I of course had, you know, they, they hit me with the full doses. Um, so we did the four months of chemo. That was the plan. And that would be followed by a surgical intervention of, either a partial or a full gastrectomy. They didn't know until they had me on the table if they would be able to keep any of my stomach. So um, that's kind of the plan of action that we had. Going through that chemo process, that four months, what was that like? That was the hardest of everything. Um, So I knew a little bit about chemotherapy. I'm I'm not a cancer nurse, um, so I don't know a whole lot about cancer. I didn't prior to this know a whole lot about cancer chemotherapy um, anything surrounding it really. I, I've never had anybody close to me that had cancer. Um, so I didn't know a whole lot about it. I knew that, you know, you hear, everybody hears this about chemotherapy and how awful it is. And, uh, it is, it's whatever you think it is, it's multiplied that times 10. It's, you go from your highest high to your lowest low, and it just keeps on happening. So, I had chemotherapy. I had infusions every two weeks and, um, surrounding the infusions, um, I would start a steroid a couple days before, and then I would go in and I would have chemo and it was probably about an eight hour process. I was there, you know, eight hours. And then I was hooked up to a CAD pump, which, um, would run 
another chemotherapy for 24 hours. And that was at home. And then I was unable to, you know, disconnect that myself um, via my central port. Um, As those first couple days, it's, um, you just feel yourself start to drain and drain. And then it goes into this extreme like fatigue and you are sick. I mean, there's diarrhea, there is constipation, there is um, flu-like symptoms. There is, you know, the muscle aches, the body aches, the bone aches. I, but as the chemotherapy, as those two weeks progressed, okay, so now we're at four, five, six day, seven day, you get to be a little bit better after that. And you get to be a little bit better, a little bit better until that 13th day, the day before chemotherapy, that you're almost like <sighs> your normal self. And then it starts all over again. Oh and it gosh. just it messes with your hormones. Um, so there's just, you know, days that I would cry in the chemotherapy infusion room, just couldn't do anything but cry and had no idea why, you know, um, Mm -hmm. it just, it's an awful, awful thing. So anybody that's dealt with or is dealing with or knows somebody that's going through chemotherapy, they are warriors. And so how many rounds did you have? I had eight rounds. And it felt like a million. Wow. And during that time, did you have an, an opportunity for or a need for people to be with you to kind of to help with things when you're going through that transition? So um, I've had a wonderful support system throughout. Unfortunately, uh, with the COVID, no one could come and sit with me. I, I couldn't have a support oh. system at the hospital. Um, which was unfortunate, but the nurses were wonderful there. Uh, you know, I have to look at both sides of things, you know, it, it it was unfortunate that I couldn't have, you know, a friend or a family member there with me, but they did such a spectacular job and I thank them so much. They're wonderful people. Um, and I would take, you know, my computer and I would do work there as well, as long as I was able and I would, you know, post, I, um, made some Facebook posts that was very cathartic to me, but I would just, you know, journal, uh, reflect a lot of reflection time was done during chemo. After going through the chemo, what's, what was the next step or next point in your journey? Sure. So the next point would be to have a PET scan and that was to see, you know, has the, tumor shrunk? Has it grown? Is the chemo effective? Um, And we went ahead and had that done. Um, I had an area that lit up. They call it lighting up um, in the back of my throat. So in order for me to move ahead with the surgery, they had to, you know, ensure that this cancer hadn't mopped. So I went into ENP. They had to biopsy this area to the back of my throat. So that was another roller coaster, you know. You don't think of these things. Many people have little areas on their body that, you know, are abnormal and they're benign. They don't mm-hmm. do anything. They don't, you know, aren't bad. So unfortunately though, you know, until you know that it's, oh my goodness, you know, going through my head, is this cancer? Did it must, it, am I not mm-hmm. even had this surgery? So um, they did the biopsy and about seven days later is when I heard that, you know, no, it wasn't cancer. It was just something benign. So that was, good news. And 
then it was just prep for surgery. They uh, generally four to six weeks after chemotherapy will do this sort of surgery just to let your body kind of um, strengthen from chemotherapy. And her chemo had ended that I had the, the gastrectomy. So that is where you shared that they kind of go in to see where your stomach, how that is. Yeah. So what they do is um, it's a pretty uh, major surgery. They luckily were able to do it laparoscopically. So I have, you know, I think one, two, three, four, five, six sites on my stomach um, with one kind of midline larger incision at the belly button. Um, And what they do is they go in and they take out the primary tumor and then they have to go so far outside of the margin and then they start taking biopsies and they send those to pathology pathology will say yay or nay this still has cancer in it no it Mm -hmm. doesn't have cancer in it well if it you know yes it does they have to go further and they'll take another biopsy Mm -hmm. and it goes back to pathology and continues to go until they get a negative no there's no cancer here um then they go you know what they need to go outside that margin and that is how they end up you know what what do we take how much of the stomach do we take um and they were able to I was able to keep a third of my stomach. So, um, and they take all lymph nodes that are connected with, uh, any of the cancerous areas. So wow. I think they ended up taking 34, 36 lymph nodes. Wow. It was a nine hour surgery. Like, were you on limited food or drink or like what, what happens when your stomach has been removed? How do you Sure. So, um, I was nothing by mouth for, oh, three or four days, the first three or four days in the hospital. And then they graduate you to, okay, you can have clear liquids and this is three or four days. And then before I left the hospital, um, it was parade. Um, so I began like parade foods and I stayed on parade foods for the first month. And then I was able to just gradually reintroduce foods back into my system. Um, and wasn't really limited at all. I had been eating, you know, pretty much whatever I'd wanted after that. I had to be careful with, you know, some, some foods, you know, that are yeah. harder to digest, but yeah. And what are some of your favorite foods? Um, so I'm a spicy food eater. I always enjoyed like <laughs> spicier Mexican food, um, that kind of thing. So of course I wasn't able to eat spicy food and and I always enjoyed like vegetables and fruits, um, nuts, seeds, that kind of thing. And of course, those are some of the foods that are harder to digest that I wasn't able to eat either for a mm, while. Yeah. But, um, you know, I was able to, I was able to eat some good stuff. When you had that surgery, how long ago was that? I had this surgery February 2nd. Any further procedures or activities related to post-surgeon surgery? So I had the, when they take the lymph nodes, they send those off to pathology and those take a while to get the results back. Um, My surgeon did call and he told me that 16 of the 34 lymph nodes tested positive for cancer. So that's, I knew wasn't good. Um, The more lymph nodes you have test positive, the higher chance metastasis, I I can never say this word, metastasis will occur. Uh, so I knew that my odds were not the greatest. Um, and I also knew going into this gastric cancer that one, it's rare. And two, generally when you are diagnosed, it, it's um, at a later stage just because 
there's so many other things that it could be. Um, right. You know, people have, every, everyday people have uh, indigestion. You know, you might eat something that doesn't agree with your stomach and you have indigestion. Um, yeah. And I had been diagnosed with GERD, um, gastric reflux disease, years and years ago. So, and many people have that. And mm-hmm. so I knew that just my odds were not good. I, I think that it was 20% survival rate at five years. It was 20%. Um, but I was still hopeful. Um, 20% was always better than 0%. It really seems like you have a great way to reframe things. Looking at both sides. Yeah, you experienced having to do treatment in COVID. But you know, the, the ability of the support you had from the staff helped you through that. And, you know, just now thinking 20%, somebody would be like, zero than hundred. Right. Your mindset really just seems to find the, the, the good in things. Is that something that you feel actually happens or can we just talk about that for a moment? Yeah. I, I don't know if, um, i an optimistic person or I have always been like that. I just know that, you know, it's, it would be a dismal life if you always Mm. looked for the other shoe to drop, if you were always waiting for the bad or expecting the bad. I, I tend to, I, I guess I have always tended to lean towards the, the better, you know, version, um, the good, what could happen, the, the good things that were going to come. Um, and I think that helped me through all of this and don't get me wrong there. I had awful, awful days where I laid in bed and all I did was cry because I knew I was going to die the next day and I was never going to make it through it. And you're right. 20% is closer to 0% than a hundred percent. And those are all thoughts that I had, but I had this awesome, amazing support system that anytime I did start to have those negative thoughts or started to dip down in this, like, you know, bleak, dismal, um, black hole. I had my husband drag me out. I had my mm. mom who moved in the day I was diagnosed. I called my mom and let her know what was going on. And she was here at my house within two hours with a suitcase and moved in. <laughs> so, I mean, my friends at, at work, um, I was, I'm lucky enough to just find, to have found this profession that I love, absolutely adore, can't believe I they paid me to do it. I, I can't believe that I actually got paid to do this. Yeah. Um, and I found these spiritual connections at work who, how are, you know, not many people first love their job and second are able to find these spiritual connections, but they were able to kind of just bring me out of that, you know, dark, gloomy place as well. And I, I just, I've been lucky through this process. I've been so lucky. I have a lot of good people in my life and I, I don't think that I've given them the credit they've deserved and, and I wish I would have, and I wish it didn't take something like this for me to have done that. Thank you for sharing about that. Absolutely. I kind of digressed a bit there. You were sharing about the lymph nodes and, and hearing about 16 to 34 of them mm-hmm. had cancer. That was yeah. a tough day. That was a tough phone call. And I don't know, like in all of the, all the phone calls I've had and all the interactions I've had with the surgeons and the doctors. And I don't know why that one was so tough. 
but it was. And I just remember I went to my mom's house um, uh, post-surgery for the first week. We have a great Dane puppy. Well, he's now a year and a half, but he's a lot and we just didn't want him jumping on me. Um, So Mm. I went in um, that first week outside of surgery and recovered at my mom's house. And after I received the phone call there, I just kind of dipped into this this depressed state where it was a dark time. Um, and again, you know, my family just pulled me out of it and it was, okay, what's the next step? Let's, what do we do next? You know? And mm-hmm. the next step was a follow-up CT scan. Um, and that was scheduled on March 30th. And I went in and I had a clean scan on March 30th. It was zero cancer. Wow. So oh my gosh. I know they had got it all. It was gone. Um, it was a good was day. That, well, yeah, I was to say, what's that feeling like? Like, oh, it's you know, as the the CT gets closer and closer, you just get you know, I just am wound tighter and tighter, and your anxiety level is just higher and higher. And then you have this procedure done, and you have to wait to hear you know the news. And I know it's back. I nope, it's clean. I nope, I know it's you know. You go back and forth and back and forth, and then to have the scan you know, come back clean was just this euphoric feeling. Um, oh my gosh. Indescribable. It really was the happiness that you have. And, um, and I knew that we would, our, our plan was to do serial CT scans. So um, another one would be scheduled in three months, but you know, that's not even on the radar. It, it was, I just had a clean scan. I'm not going to worry about the next one until July rolls around, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, let's, we need to celebrate, right? Like we are getting we we, good. We did. My mom and I went to Sundara Spa. So um, there was a group of three or four or five coworkers at work who um, all went in together and got us a, my mom and I, a spa uh, day. And it, actually it was an overnight um, at Sundara. So we went and we celebrated there. Wow. And it was amazing. Yes. And so deserving. I think it was more deserving for my mom than it was for me. <laughs> I always said, and I maintain, and I stick by that this has been the hardest for everybody else. Um, for my son, my mom, my mm-hmm. the people that love me. It's been harder for them than it has been for me. Yeah. Um, I don't have to envision a life without them. Mm. Um, they're the ones that have to envision a life without me. And now that is a reality. And it's, it's gotta be difficult for him. I can't imagine. Yeah. So it sounds like something maybe took place after that clean scan. Yeah. Um, so kind of all the time it melts together. So my timeline might not be, um, to the day correct, but I would say a month ago, um, I was having some difficulty keeping things down. So, um, and it happened just like, you know, quickly, um, a couple days, I wasn't keeping things down. Things were coming back up. Um, I I wasn't really having any pain, nothing like that, but I was worried about dehydration and I just knew something wasn't quite, quite right. Excuse me. Um, so I went to the emergency room and, you know, explained my situation and they did a, uh, CT scan there and, you know, had said, this is what we found. We found you have a lot of undigested food in your stomach. And, um, for some reason that's not passing. 
Um, there could be a few different reasons. One is it could be the cancer has recurred. Um, but at that point, they they weren't leaning towards that. Um, they felt mm-hmm. too, and I had went to um, Dodgeville uh, Emergency Room. So they had felt that um, Carbone wanted me at UW. So um, I was fine with that. They sent me via ambulance to the Carbone Center, um, UW, and where I had more tests done. Um, and unfortunately they found that there was a tumor at, um, it's called the anastomosis is what it's called. It's where that they uh, reconnected my stomach to my small intestines. So there was a tumor there in my small intestines that was pushing and blocking. And that was what was preventing, um, food from Mm -hmm. passing. And they had also, um, found some other nodules in my stomach. Um, so that was very disheartening news to hear that. Um, but at that point still, I was hopeful. Um, I, I was hopeful up until, you know, the doctor came in and just said, there's not really a whole lot we can do. Um, and the choices you do have are not going to extend your life by much. You have maybe weeks, um, maybe months. Um, but your time here is limited. Wow. Yeah, that is a, again, um, I'm sure I was in shock. But I just remember asking, you know, Dr. Varley, how do you, how do you die? I mean, I get how you're supposed to die. I get that. You know, I'm a nurse. I understand. I just die. My heart stops. But I, how do I die mentally? How do I, how do I live with limited time, knowing I'm knowing I'm going to die? How do I not just? I heard you say, "How do I let my mind die?" Right. How do I? Yeah. How do I let? How do I make peace with it in my mind? You know. Um, that's what I don't understand how to do, you know, how do I do that? And he just said, um, with dignity is what he said. And he said, I believe that you'll do that. And knowing you, I believe that you'll die with dignity. And even then, you know, that, that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I mean, at that Mm -hmm. point, nothing made a whole lot of sense to me. I think the hardest, the very, very hardest was to tell my husband and my mom. And then of course the very hardest was to tell Zach, my son, that I had weeks, maybe months, you know, of course everybody's in denial at first, but, and I'm still, I still struggle with how, how I'm, you know, the fear, you know, we, we all know about, we learn about the, the stages of grief and this process that you go through and Mm -hmm. you know that it's not pretty and it's not one two three four five you bounce around in that process Mm -hmm. and I I do every day I do um some days I'm angry some days I'm sad um I think I've moved towards accepting it it's difficult it's it's a, a very difficult thing absolutely Oh, you are a very strong woman. Well, thank you. But I, 
I don't know about that. I just know that you, you have to do what you have to do. You know, you don't really know how, what you can handle until it's kind of dropped on you and you have to handle it. I would never have picked this for myself. I wouldn't mm-hmm. pick this for anybody, anybody, mm-hmm. but yeah. you know, I have to believe that either I needed someplace else or my purpose here has been fulfilled. And I don't know why that is. I don't know if I'll ever know why, mm-hmm. um, but I have to somehow make peace with that. Um you know, and I've been through the anger, um, where I'm angry at God and I don't want to be angry at God, especially at the end of my life, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I just continue to think that I've had almost 40 good years, wonderful years, so much better than a lot of other people have ever had it. Mm-hmm. And I have to be thankful for that. Yeah. And how does that impact like each day that you wake up? There's always that split second that you forget that you're kind of in between fully awake and not really asleep that you're, it doesn't hit me. Um, so I wake up and you have that feeling and then it hits me. Um, Mm. I'm dying and I don't know how that, it really, I can't say that it hasn't changed my perception or how I go about my days. I just spend them with my family yeah, and the people I love. I've had lots of visitors and that's how I want to spend them. You know, um, a lot of people ask, you know, what's on your bucket list? What do you want to do? Is there something you want to accomplish? And no, I'm sure there, there are people that there is, there's things Mm -hmm. that they want to do and that's, there's, that's great. Um, but for myself, I just want to spend my time with my family. I do. I want to spend it in my home where I'm, I feel safe and I feel loved Mm -hmm. and reminisce on, you know, the happy times. And even if we're just sitting quietly, not interacting, not doing anything, it's just, they're here. They're by me. They're supporting me. We're spending time together. Are you able to be in a comfortable space? Yeah. So yeah, um, currently I, I have, when I was in the hospital, they placed a a G tube. So because nothing passes through my stomach, I, um, can't take in much. I I can eat, um, one for social pleasure for, you know, uh, personal pleasure, the taste, but it will pass through my G tube or it will come back up, um, Mm -hmm. via vomiting. Um, so it's not something that's always pleasant. So I I don't Mm -hmm. eat very much. Um, and I also have what's called TPN. It's total, I can never say this word either, parenteral, parenteral nutrition <laughs> through an IV. Um, and it's, it's connected to my port. I have a, a central line port and they call it a power port in my chest. Okay. So um, I have nutrition through there. Um, and that is too is prolonging my life mm. um, because otherwise I would not have been able to take in anything in the past three weeks since I've been out of the hospital. So, um, I'm pretty mobile. Good. Good. You know, still get up every day. I shower. I'm able to make dinner, um, with the help of my husband and my mom. Yeah. You know, I still do. I vacuumed the other day, um, much to everybody else's dismay. (laughs) They didn't want me to do it, but, um, I wanted to, I enjoy those types of things. Um, 
yeah so as of right now I'm, I still look in the mirror and I still have a hard time believing that I'm not for the physical world much longer and mm-hmm. I think that you know people I haven't seen for a while that have come to visit they look at me and they're like they're shocked at how well I look you know yeah. but I suppose that's just going to be a gradual kind of of thing and that I think is one of the hardest you know, the most difficult is not knowing the fear of not knowing um, the future, what exactly is going to happen. You know, am I going to be in pain? Um, uh, I'm a spiritual person. I, I, I grew up Catholic. Um, I identify more as a Christian than I do um, Catholic now, mm-hmm. but I am spiritual. I believe in God. I believe in life after. Uh, so... I, I believe in all of that 98% of the time, but 2% of mm-hmm. the time, my mind goes to these dark places that w- what if one, what if I didn't live my life like I should have, and I'm not going to wind up in heaven. Then what, what, uh, what if there's nothing else? What if, you, you know, um, it's very hard to have blind faith and that's, uh, what we have to have in, in God. Uh, so again, 98% of the time, that's what I believe in. And I believe that I'm going to be okay, but it's that 2% of the time that my mind kind of falls into these, these dark places that it's, it's hard. It's an issue. And I just try to pull myself back out of that. And, you know, I think that if there isn't anything else and I'm not going to know any different because I'm not going to be here and there's nothing else, but I truly believe that there is and that I had a purpose. And I don't know what it is, but apparently I fulfilled it or I'm needed elsewhere. Thinking along those lines, would you have anything that you could share, like wisdom or thoughts of an experience, maybe for someone who does have a loved one who's experiencing hardship? What would you say to them? Spend as much time with them as you can um, and make memories because that's what you're going to, that's how they're going to live on in your hearts. That's how, you know, you'll remember them. And when you're feeling sad and, um, you need, you need them, um, you can really pull from that bank of memories and the time you spent with them. Uh, so that would be my, my advice to someone that maybe has limited, if they know their family has limited time. Um, my advice to everybody in general is you never know what somebody's going through. So be kind. Just be mm-hmm. kind to people. It is so much easier to be kind than it is to harbor hate mm-hmm. and negativity. So just, you don't know what other people are going through. So you know what? Maybe somebody didn't smile at you. Maybe somebody didn't say hi to you that day. Maybe somebody cut you off in traffic. You don't know where their mind's at. You don't know what they're going through. Uh, so, yeah. And are you going to remember that in, in two years? Are you going to remember that this person cut you off in line? Are you going to remember that this person said something mean to you in two years? No. So don't sweat the small stuff. I think it's the biggest thing. Don't. Yeah. Yeah. Such awesome reminders. Yeah. Focus on happy. Be happy. And the only person that you can really make that happen for is yourself. So choose happiness. Words of wisdom right there. Choosing happiness. And, you know, even if there's someone out there who listens and maybe they're, they're at a low point in their life, just feeling low or feeling that, you know, this, the, I, me, anything come to mind on a response to that? 
everybody goes through low points and it doesn't matter what their storm may be. My storm is this. Um, everybody has their individual storms and during those times they, they can get wild and they can get dark and they can get, you know, very bad and, and you'll go through low times and your mind is going to go to these dark places and you're going to have negative thoughts. Um, you just have to find the things that pull you out of it. Um, the people surround yourself with the people that can pull you out of it. Um, that is the most important thing in life is your connections to other people. Um, and that's how you're going to choose happy. That's how you're going to be happy that, you know, your connections to other people, it's, it's not going to be our, the clothes. Mm. You can't take any of that with you. Um, and I think that like everyone else, I've always liked nice things. I've, I've wanted the name brand things. And that's what I've come to realize is it means not, it means not so really take relationships with other people and connect with them at a deep level because those are, that's how you're going to be happy. And that's how those are the people that pull you out of these dark places that your mind goes to when it goes there. Yeah. Sounds like investing in relationships over material things matters so much more. It really does. It so very much does. And not to say it's okay to like nice things. It is. It's okay, but just don't let it kind of rule, rule your life, you know, just know what's important. It seems the C word we should call that, you know, cancer. So many people in different forms, um, from those that are to those that are terminal, Mm -hmm. you know, what does cancer, what does cancer mean for you? It's so much more than just a disease. It's but I don't want to give it that power either. Mm, yeah. It's, it's the pandemic that no one talks about. If you don't know someone that has been through, is going through, has died from, or, you know, has a loved one that has had cancer, you're in the minority. Um, and that's just the facts. Mm-hmm. It, it's this thing that like you said um whether it be terminal or treatable there's every every aspect in between there's so many different cancers that um it's it's something you hear about every day and most people deal with in some way shape or form every day um cancer to me is something that can be something that i want a cure to be found for. I, I need that to happen. Um, and I hope that my case helps that happen when the surgeons and the oncologists look at it, they can find something that maybe will progress mm. them a little bit closer to, um, a cure for lack of better word. Um, yeah. And this type. So what is a song that lifts you up or would be on your must playlist? Rise Up by Andre Day is something that really um, spoke to me, moved me. I can't listen to without bawling, but in a good way. Do you have any hobbies that you enjoy doing or things that you do as a family together that really just give you a lot of great energy and fill you with happiness? I hope um, moving forward that my son and my husband and my, my brothers and my mom 
we'll find all of the memories of us going to Zach's um, baseball games and tournaments. He tra- he plays travel ball um, and travel baseball, I should say. And um, we've had so many great memories of the time weekends that we set practices that, um, you know, we had a iron mic um, hitting machine in our backyard. Um, <laughs> just those are, you know, we, there were so many good times that we've had uh, just traveling to different places around the Midwest, meeting our um, baseball family. Um, so yeah, those are, that's something that we've always enjoyed as a family and extended family. Um, staying in the hotel from just staying in the hotels and going out to eat and going to these tournaments and watching these kids play their heart out. Um, it's always yeah. been something that we've really enjoyed doing. Um, as far as hobbies go, I'm an avid reader. I will read anything you put in my hands. We have two dogs. I am an animal lover, but especially dogs. Uh, but yeah, mostly just spending time together as a family. And a lot of our weekends are have been and will be in the future without me though spent at tournaments baseball tournaments what do you want your legacy or do you have anything to share about that what would that be that is such a hard question and one I've thought about since I was diagnosed um I hope that my friends and family can think of me and have happy thoughts, remember happy times, happy, um, you know, laughter, um, that I give people a smile after I'm gone. I've always been the person to joke. Um, I always have a joke for everything. And I hope that that's one of the things after I'm gone that they can remember about me and they don't think of me, you know, in sadness, but in more of a happy, um, light and that they can laugh and think of the times that we spent belly laughing together. Mm. Um, I hope that is what my legacy is to them. I'm just, and maybe um, looking at the good because I, I, like you had said, I do tend to look at the good side of things, the optimistic side and perhaps um, that may be, will rub off on to everybody after I'm gone. That bright light, that bright light I, I sense from your voice and just um, getting to know you the last hour here, you know, it I just, so. it shines so much to just speaking with you that, you know, to know you in person, to have that connection. Oh my gosh. That just, it sounds like absolutely happiness is what would be a memory on. I hope so. I can't really articulate how, how grateful I am to have had this time to talk with you um, and hear your full journey on your health. And again, just your perspective and attitude and finding good things in what is, can be such a exhaustive hardship. And knowing that your journey continues with this, it's not um, one that it doesn't have I a happy just... ending in this physical world. 
I know what you're saying. I, I don't have a happy ending in this physical world. I'm not living to be 90 years old. Um, mm. But I truly believe that I still will find a happy ending wherever I, my spirit may go. And it sounds like a very well, well lived life. I think so. Thank you so much for listening in to the Hardship Journey episode. It would mean so much to me if you would share this episode with a friend or family member or even post it on social media and tag me so I can personally thank you for helping me get the message out. And I hope you feel inspired and motivated from listening to this episode. And no matter what comes your way on life's journey, you can make your own hardship journey.